0: Hello, this is Harry Thomason, and welcome to The Story You Never Heard, executive produced by Benja Gaither and Douglas Jackson. On this podcast, we'll tell you stories about the world, your country, your people, and things that happened long ago and not so long ago. Stories you probably never heard, until now. Here's tonight's tale. Titanic Thompson. In early 1973, I had my first conversation with Alvin. His dentist, Dr. Hill, a good soul, wanted me to meet him. Alvin was frail and living in a nursing home in Dallas. A riveting character, he was 80 years old and still knew how to tell an exciting tale. Maybe I would have believed that it was just a tale, but I'd already done my homework and I knew the stories he was telling were true. I wanted to do a movie about this extraordinary life, and my friend Dr. William Harrison, esteemed professor, novelist, and screenwriter, rollerball and others, was willing to write the screenplay. Now, Ty was brilliant. He had been a super-athlete. He literally was one of the greatest golfers in the world, a game he played either left or right-handed. He was good at almost every sport and game, not to mention his expert marksmanship with firearms. He infrequently attended elementary school, but his teachers classified him as a genius. Later, a newspaper said he possessed the skills of Merlin. But you probably never heard of him, so I guess I should go back to the beginning. Alvin Clarence Thomas was born on November the 30th, 1893. He grew up on a farm in the Ozark Mountains near Rogers, Arkansas. It was a hard hardscrabble life, and he knew he would always have to fend for himself. A beautiful river ran through the mountains near his family farm in the Ozark, a place where the rich of Chicago came in the early 1900s to vacation. One morning, 14-year-old Alvin, accompanied by his dog, was fishing. Soon, a guy from Chicago, flaunting an expensive fly rod and fishing krill, was fishing close to him. Alvin approached the stranger and picked up a small, smooth stone. Sir, I'll bet you if I scratch an X on this rock and throw it into the river, my dog will go out and find it and bring it back. The fisherman grinned. Well, I might be willing to do that. How much do you want to bet? Alvin replied he had no money, but would bet the rifle he had strapped on his back against the fancy fly rod and krill. The fisherman laughed and took him up on his bed. Alvin marked a rock and tossed it into the stream. The dog dived into the river, and he went under. Soon he came up, and he swam back to shore and deposited a rock at their feet. The fisherman was astounded to see the rock with the eggs on it. He stared at the dog and the rock for a few seconds. Then he stuttered and spoke. Look kid, it's an amazing feat, but I I really didn't think you were serious about the bet. He heard a click and he turned to find he was facing the barrel of the rifle that was no longer on Alvin's back. Sir, we made a bet, you lost, I'll take your gear. The terrified fisherman gave up the gear and started backing away. Alvin watched him retreat and thought to himself, "Mister." If you knew how many days it has taken me to line the bottom of this part of the river with hundreds of rocks marked with an X, you would feel good for me. So that was the beginning of the life Alvin chose. Over the years, his name would more from Alvin Thomas to Titanic Thompson, a name that became a legend among sports writers, gangsters, and athletes for more than half of the 20th century. At 19, he discovered God. He was great at it. For years, it took him around the country and made him wealthy, playing against rich country club golfers that thought they were great. Golf legend Ben Hogan once asked him if he had ever considered being a pro, and Ty answered, no, I couldn't afford to take the pay cut. He would appear on an upscale golf course anywhere between New York and Dallas and con his way into a round of golf with the richest people he could find. Somebody would always wander up to ask the caddy for him, and he would hire the caddy, and the match would begin. The usual rules were everybody paid $50 to the winner. Ty, playing right-handed, would always end up a stroke or two behind and pay his $50 loss. As the winner would be saying, better luck next time, Ty would interrupt. Heck, I wasn't even trying. Me and my little old caddy here could play any of you guys and beat you like a drum, and I'd even play left-handed. Now, it was amazing how much that would insult a couple of rich country club gobbers who had just beaten him. Soon, he and his little old caddy would be lining up on the first tee against a couple of rich club members. It was always a disaster for the country club boys, who usually had around 5,000 each at stake. Titanic Thompson, the natural left-hander, and his caddy would hand them a humiliating defeat, take their 10,000 in profit, and head for the next golf course. Oh, did I mention who the little old caddy was in those years? Well, this one was a Hispanic kid named Lee, Lee Trevino. Yes, that's the one. One of the greatest golfers of all time and a member of the Golf Hall of Fame. Oh, and before that, his caddy was Lee Elder, the first black athlete to ever play in the Masters. Ty told me he probably won around seven million on Golf Courses of America, probably lost a little on betting the horses, and he made more millions playing poker. He became very popular with the in-crowd of New York in the 1920s and 30s. His striking good looks and stylish clothes made him a darling of the elites. He was friends pretty much with every socialite and gangster in New York City. But he left to come back to his home state, to Hot Springs, Arkansas. This was a place where all mobsters went to get away. Among them, Lucky Luciano, Bugsy Siegel, Al Capone, and Oni Madden, whose nickname was The Killer, for good reason. He was one of Manhattan's most dangerous gangsters, and he ran the famed Cotton Club. He eventually married the postmistress of Hot Springs and lived there the remainder of his life. They all turned in their weapons to the police chief when they came to Hot Springs, and nobody had to worry about getting killed. They battled with each other in places like Chicago, New York, and Boston. But once they stepped off the train in Hot Springs, somehow it seemed those gangsters and killers just became kids and pranksters there to have fun. Hot Springs was also the town where several major league baseball teams held spring training. It was not unusual to see Babe Ruth around the card tables. Ty related two of his favorite stories to me. In the first, Capone, Ty, and several others were doing what they did most days, playing poker and drinking at the beautiful Arlington Hotel with their windows open looking out over Central Avenue. A truck rolled up packed with watermelons and parked across the street from their room. Ty commented on the truck and the great number of melons. Capone agreed and said maybe they should send someone down to buy one. Ty interrupted and told Capone that he bet he could guess the number of watermelons in the truck and not miss it by over three. Capone said he didn't believe it, and before you knew it, Ty had offered Capone a $25,000 bet that he could. They went down and started the count. When it was over, Ty's bet that there were 672 watermelons on the truck was off by only one. There were 671 watermelons on the truck. A bewildered Capone handed Ty the money, laughing at how anybody could be that lucky. Ty told me to be that lucky, you had to meet the truck in Malvern, the next town away, early in the morning, and give the driver money to count the melons, pack them back on the truck, and have him park it on Central Avenue in front of the Arlington Hotel at 3 p.m. He also related how they were playing poker late at night with the same group. Al Capone had a tendency to doze off while playing. He did, and Ty quietly closed the curtains where no light could enter. By now, Al was snoring. Ty then had his fellow players turn off every lamp in the room and stuff towels to block out any light leaking in around doors. The room was totally black. Ty gently nudged Capone and said, Al, it's your play. Capone woke up to total blackness. He tried to get oriented as one of the other guys was now loudly saying, Al, for God's sakes, play, it's your turn. But now Capone was groaning and beginning to scream and make sounds on Ty S. Ow, what the hell is wrong? He screams, I'm blind, I've gone completely blind. Oh my God, how did this happen? He got up wailing and toppled the card cable over. He was now so panicked that Ty felt sorry for him and turned the light on and everybody started laughing. Except Capone, who said, if I had my gun, I would kill every one of you S.O.Bs. But finally he started laughing and told the blonde story on himself for the rest of his life. Ty wasn't always funny. He had a dark past he rarely talked about. He killed five people, and he told me he only regretted killing one of them. The last one. It happened in Dallas during the early 60s. He was playing in a high-stakes golf game. He liked his young caddy, who was just a caddy this time, and he thought he was personal and smart. Ty won thousands as he was walking to his car, a bandit in a mass stepped out of the shadows with a gun and told him to surrender the money. Ty whipped out a pistol before the bandit could react and shot him in the chest. As the man lay mortally wounded on the ground, Ty pulled the mask down and revealed it was his young caddy. The caddy spoke, Mr. Thompson, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did it, but get the cops here so I can tell them that it wasn't your fault. An ambulance and police arrived, but too late. The caddy had passed away, and Ty's eyes filled with tears for one of the few times in his life. No charges were filed. Now, you probably wonder how he got the name Titanic Thompson. Well, on November the 4th, 1928, his friend, New York mob boss Arnold Rothstein, who was married to Fanny Bryce, later portrayed by Barbara Streisand in the film Funny Girl, was murdered, allegedly because he refused to pay his debts from a poker game that he believed had been fixed. George McManus, a friend of both Ty and Rothstein's, stood trial for the murder in a highly publicized New York trial. Thompson, even though he didn't believe McManus did it, had been forced to testify against him by the city prosecutors. But when Ty got on the stand, he completely changed his testimony and McManus was acquitted and the prosecutors were livid. The next day, the New York tabloid front pages screamed that Thompson, yes, they spelled Thomas as Thompson, sank the prosecution like the Titanic. Alvin Thomas didn't mind a new name, and forever after became Titanic Thompson. Damon Runyon, one of the most famous writers of the century, wrote a couple of stories about Titanic Thompson changing his name because Ty asked him to. Later, the stories were combined into the classic hit musical, Guys and Dolls. Its main character, Sky Masterson, is based on Titanic Thompson. Ty died before I could get some rights issues cleared up to the studio's satisfaction, But I hope this exciting project gets made someday, and I'm sure Ty is looking down from heaven thinking the same thing. Yes, I believe he's in heaven. I have a feeling Ty bet the gatekeeper, he could guess the number of stars in the sky. The gatekeeper took the bet, and Ty guessed right. The gatekeeper probably didn't know that Ty, the poor kid from the Ozarks, had been looking at the sky and counting the stars his whole life. Well, that's our story you never heard for the night, and we hope you enjoyed it. If this is your first time here, why not check out the rest of our catalog? We've been at this for a good while now and have so many great stories. Just type in thestoryyouneverheard.com, and almost any platform will take you to our tales. And guess what? They're all free. That's right, free. Have a good night, everyone, and please join us next week. This show is executive produced by Benji Gaither and Douglas Jackson. Our technical consultant and website administrators, John Balderson, and Justin Nichols is our editor.